0: Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen. I'd like to begin with a warning to those who preach about how uh, often little control you have over your preaching once it leaves your mouth and goes into the ears of those who hear. Uh, That you're never always gonna be aware of everyone who's gonna hear this sermon or how they're gonna hear this sermon and what parts of the sermon may end up stuck in their heart and their mind, perhaps, for the rest of their life. Which means if it's a good and faithful sermon and it affects them in a good way, well, well done. But what if it's one of those sermons, well, well, <clears throat> just as an example, I'd like to consider a sermon that I always think about every single time I hear the gospel uh, read today from Matthew 14. Jesus walking on water, or this sermon was really Peter walking on water. Now you may uh, sigh relief, this was not preached in an LCMS congregation. I was in the Lutheran part of our family. We lived in Southern California, but our extended family in Wyoming and in Tennessee included those who were Baptist and a lot of other different things. And we would spend a lot of our summers in Tennessee and Wyoming, and every Sunday we would go and hear these other guys preach. And this was the Baptist pastor in Wyoming, and I remember him talking about this text, and he preached a sermon that was very favorable to Simon Peter. I mean, this sermon was all about Simon Peter, and you might say, that doesn't make any sense. He took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. Uh Aha, but the guy said, yeah, but at least he tried. None of the other guys tried. They all stayed in the boat. And this was a sermon about how important it was for us to exercise our faith. And when you exercise your faith, you're taking a risk and you may fail, but at least you're exercising your faith. And you might say that the sermon might be summarized with get out of the boat and walk on the water. And uh, I remember some of the images this guy preached, some things I can distinctly remember. I remember him saying that, you know, when Jesus showed up early that morning, it shouldn't have been one guy walking out to him, it should have been 12. There should have been 12 apostles on the water walking to their Lord. And so Peter should be commended. At least he tried. And then I remember him saying, oh, you may say Peter had little faith. Well, here, this is what he did. He didn't say anything. Here's Peter's faith. And then he just did this. And finally this. And he stuck his finger out over the pulpit. And, of course, the implication, here's Peter. Where are you? Are you here? There are the guys in the boat. And then he uh, made a statement that I remember, which is stuck in my head, and this may date me and date the sermon, but he said to the people in the church, he said, you know, there are two kinds of disciples in the church, my friends, those who walk on water and those who stay in the boat. Now, if you think, uh, any of you know the movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, you probably know at least that I like that movie. This is sort of a Clint Eastwoodism from that film. You know, there are two kinds of men in the world, my friend, those with loaded guns and those who dig. Thinking back, I imagine this guy must have watched The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. It came out in 1968. Okay, that may help date me and date this sermon. But uh, there's two kinds of disciples in the church, my friend, those who walk on the water and those who stay in the boat. And you can just hear that uh, there's the kind of disciple you really want to be and it's not the one who stays in the boat. And then uh, he made a reference to John 14, verse 12. I didn't know it at the time, but I remember the reference. He said, Jesus said we would do his works, we would do greater things than Jesus did. And he said, Jesus healed lepers, and he fed the 5,000, he multiplied loaves, and he walked on water. And then he didn't really say anything more and you're gonna do greater things than Jesus did. And I remember as a little boy thinking, well, it begins, at least I better be able to do what Jesus did if I'm gonna be like Peter and exercise my bold faith. And I remember at the time sort of uh, being stung and angry by that sermon because, well, deep down in my heart of hearts, I knew what kind of disciple I was. I would have been afraid of drowning in the rough waters and I would have stayed on the boat. I remember after the sermon, uh, members of my family were saying what a powerful message it was. And I said, uh, I think that pastor ought to try to walk across the river. North Platte was nearby. And one of the older uh, members of my family waved me off and said, you just don't understand, right? But well, I think back, I, maybe I don't. I'm not sure exactly what the point of the sermon was because later, I, just, I was a little kid, I tuned out the rest of the sermon. Uh, I'm sure he applied this in some metaphorical, non-literal way, like not that we're supposed to be walking on water, but you know, exercise your faith, get out the boat, do something. But uh, that this message stuck, when we would go back, people would continue to use that line. Two kinds of disciples, those who walk on water, and those who stay in the boat and what kind of disciple are you that image stuck in my head and well it would always condemn me because i knew deep down inside what kind of disciple i was here's peter where are you i know that sermon must have affected my brother quinn too my older brother because later that summer at home i remember we tried some experiments to exercise our faith and it, they never, none of them worked out, uh, you might imagine. I remember you know, he said, you know, Jesus healed lepers, multiplied loaves, and walked on the water. And we're supposed to do greater things than him? Well, it starts by doing what he does. Uh, thankfully, there was a short supply of lepers in diamond bar, so we couldn't test that. But we did have an, a pool in our backyard, and we had access to bread. And so I remember experiment one, multiply the loaves. We swiped five slices from, a, from the Wonder Bread, went out, Tried to multiply them and ended up with a pile of crumbs on the sidewalk. Uh, my mom was not pleased. We were on a tight budget. So as punishment, my brother and I had to eat sandwiches without bread for two weeks. Easy to do with bologna, hard to do with peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> Experiment two, walk on water. We had the pool, we knew how to swim. Uh, so no danger there, but we went out and uh, I think this turned more into sort of fun and games where it just be us turned into a jumping contest. but. At still I remember distinctly thinking if I had the faith of Peter I should be able to stand on the water at least a bit before I sink and if my faith were bigger than Peter man I wouldn't even sink and then thinking in my heart of hearts you know I just don't have Peter's faith I'm one of the people on the boat that's who I am and I'm stuck on the boat and maybe I have smaller faith in Peter or There was that doubt that lingering doubt Maybe this is where I am and that's my problem. And so, whenever this text was read, and I must have heard other sermons, that was the sermon that always stuck in my head and used to trouble my conscience because I would see Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water. Sure, he sinks, but at least he's trying. And where are you? Where are you? Well, I kind of worked it out, I hope. Uh, I remember talking to my dad about this. You know, why can't we multiply bread? And my dad's response was kind of simple. Uh, Did Jesus ever tell you to multiply bread? He didn't. Why are you trying to multiply bread? Why can't we walk on water? Did Jesus tell you to walk on water? Why are you trying to walk on water? Then, an important theological point that has stuck with me since then are you Jesus? My answer was no, I'm not. He said, That's right, Jesus is Jesus. And I didn't fully unpack that, but uh, oh yeah, Jesus is Jesus. And I remember reading this when I began to read. you know, how the, uh, the end of the story is not Peter gets on the boat, and the other disciples slap him on the back, and they say, Hey, good try. We're really impressed. You walked for a bit, you sank, but you walked for a bit, we didn't even get out there. Man, you're our role model, Peter. Instead, they're worshiping, bowing down before Jesus, and confessing, Truly, you are the Son of God. And with the help of my dad and some pastors, I suddenly realized that, see, the problem with that guy's message was he had Peter front and center, in a story where Jesus was front and center. And so you can see the problem when you take Jesus and remove him from the central spot and put Peter or yourself there, you're going to have problems. This text is first about Jesus and his identity before it addresses your identity. And Jesus is the Son of God. Why do they confess that? Is it because he walks on the water? Because when he gets to the boat, the winds stop? Or is it because when they're afraid, he speaks words of encouragement to them? And when Peter sinks, he saves him. This is Jesus, the Son of God, as depicted in Matthew's Gospel. It's a very rich title, Son of God. And uh, you can read Jeff Gibbs' commentary, the introduction, to unpack some of that. But uh, what's striking here is Jesus, as the Son of God, initiating the reign of his Father, does things that save. He came to save his people from their sins. He preaches to the crowd who are like sheep without a shepherd, and then he feeds them. He goes to his disciples on that windy, stormy sea, speaks words of encouragement. And when Peter, I think foolishly, steps out of the boat... Jesus saves him. Sometimes I think perhaps the more faithful thing is to just sit in the boat. Shut up. Listen to what Jesus says and watch to see what Jesus does. And then you will know that Jesus is the Son of God that the Father sent to redeem his people Israel and in time to call all nations to faith in him. And that this text now becomes about what Jesus does. Peter's a little faith guy. Jesus saves him when he calls out to him. So imagine a different story. I guess this would be the American-friendly story where Jesus is just this bold and awesome guy and he does bold and awesome things and the only people who get to be his disciples are really the people who are bold and awesome and do bold and awesome things. See, in this story, Peter would come out and when he sinks, Jesus would let him sink to the bottom and drown. He'd get into the boat and tell the other 11, now... Let this be a lesson to you. Let this be a warning to you. Of course, think about it, this Jesus would not have submitted to the baptism of John. That was a sinner's baptism after all. He would not have called sinners. He would not have eaten with them. He would not have touched the unclean. He probably wouldn't have had compassion on that crowd. And come to think about it, uh, this may seem strange, but he wouldn't even be the son of God. Because as son of God, he does what his father wants, and what the father wants is to bring his reign of salvation to his people Israel, and to bring this salvation to the fallen world, and he does it in this way, by sending his son in a way that, yes, he shows forth bold miracles, he saves, but he comes in a way that can be also, that is also lowly, that is despised, that can be resisted that will lead him not to uh, immortality first, but to death upon a cross. And so it's key how important that title is. Yet this is the very Son of God that God sent to save his people and redeem his world. He did it in this way. And this is the very Jesus that when you look at this story, This is the Jesus who has also acted to save you. If you keep Jesus front and center in this story, then I guess all we are are disciples on the boat. Hopefully we shut up, watch, and listen. Maybe like Peter, we do foolish things. We have little faith, and yet our Lord does not despise us, fire us, get rid of us. He saves us. And if you want to take John fourteen twelve and bring it into Matthew's gospel, you will do greater things than I did. Well, look to what Jesus tells his disciples to do. All authority was given to me. Therefore go, therefore, go make disciples out of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all the things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now here is apostolic work that I can identify with and that you can. Water comes into the story again, but notice this is not water that you tread and master because you're bold and have faith and exercise your faith. This is the waters of baptism that are poured upon you, that cover you, that wash you. This is where God puts his name upon you, that he calls you to be his own. This is where the Lord Jesus Christ saves you from your sin and makes you his disciples. And this brings you into that promise. Behold, I am with you always. Even when your faith is weak, even when it's little, nevertheless, when we focus upon what God has done in Jesus, there we find our identity. Children of God, disciples of Jesus Christ, because Jesus acted because Jesus speaks words of forgiveness and encouragement to you. And that's who you are. And so, thinking back to that sermon, I suppose I can go back to the good, the bad, and the ugly and speak sort of in Clint Eastwoodisms and say, you know, there's two, two kinds of disciples in the church, my friends. There are those who have been called by the gospel and whom God has saved and made his own people, whom Jesus has saved from their sins and with whom Jesus continues to be present, even when your faith is little. And there are those who, well, there's one kind of disciple in the church, my friend. May the Lord God, our Heavenly Father, keep you steadfast in this faith and in this calling, both now and unto life everlasting. Amen.